So I'm a tongue biter. Like uh, anytime I'm really focused or intense, I don't know why, I just I bite my tongue. Like, and it feels good. So maybe like in your home right now or at your microsite, just bite your tongue with me. I mean, it just, for some reason, it's a little bit soothing in those moments when I'm really, really intense. And I don't think about it. I just kind of do it. Um, my dad's a tongue biter, like, and all of his siblings are. Like my dad, um, when I was young, I knew if I was like in really big trouble by the, by the intensity that he bit his tongue. Like he would say, you're going to get it when we get home. And then he would bite his tongue. And, and trust me, whatever it was, you didn't want it. But it's just it's what he did. And, and then like my daughter, Chapel, you know, she's 14. And every once in a while, I'll see her get really focused on something really intense. And without thinking about it, she bites her tongue. And my son, Trust, like he's 11, okay? And so Trust, he, he can't see or speak or walk. But when Trust doesn't get what he wants, it's hard for him to communicate. And so he'll get frustrated and angry and he bites his tongue. Like, how crazy is that? I'll hear Brittany downstairs and she'll say, trust, quit biting your tongue. But it's just, it's inside of him. It's his nature. Without thinking about it, he just, he does it. And so we're in this study in Philippians. And Paul's talking about this new way of living. This way that we can live with joy and satisfaction. We can live a life of significance and purpose. And today, he's going to push on us a little bit. He's going to talk to us about something that we just naturally do without thinking about it. Something that's just kind of ingrained inside of each one of us. And honestly, like this section of scripture today may be the most difficult part of scripture to apply. But Paul's going to say, like, if you'll do this, if you'll live in this way, you're going to live at a different level. You're going to experience joy and significance and purpose. But I'm just warning you, today's message is really, really challenging. So let's jump in to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we'll run through verse 11 today. Paul begins like this, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So Paul opens up and says, Hey, this goes out to anybody who has benefited in any way from being a follower of Jesus. Like in any way, you say, man, following Christ has been a benefit to my life. If it's been a source of encouragement through difficult times, if it's brought comfort and peace to your life, knowing that you're loved by God, if in any way you can say, man, following Jesus has blessed my life, and this is for you, and I know that's true in my life, um, I'm constantly blown away. God loves me because I know me. I know what I've done and where I've been. I know how unfaithful I am. And the thought that God has adopted me into his family and calls me his son, it blows me away. And even more than that, God's picked me to be a part of his mission to tell the rest of the world about his, his love and his grace. Like I, I just, I'm blown away that God could love and trust someone like me. And even beyond that, there's been moments in life, moments of pain and darkness when everything in life seems so confusing. I have this confidence there's a God who loves me and who's for me, and it brings such comfort to my life. I'm baffled how people can go through the pain and the brokenness of the world around us and not have faith in God, not believe there's someone else out there that has good for us, that has a different perspective 
And I have benefited so much from the love of God. And Paul said, if that's you and you've benefited in any way, then I got an instruction for you. And he continues on in verse two. He said, well, well then would you do this? Would you make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind? Paul said, man, you, you'd make me really happy. You'd bring a lot of joy to my life if you could be unified around this, this one thing. And the thing that Paul is going to challenge us to do is so challenging and difficult. So I'm going to warn you, go ahead and brace yourself because the next few scriptures are so difficult. Paul says this in verse 3, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Don't, don't do anything to prop up your ego or your reputation. Being concerned what other people think about you. Don't do anything that just serves yourself. Instead, value other people more than yourself. And this stands in contrast to everything we are as human beings. I mean, this is ingrained in us to do things that serve ourselves. Like, I want to be happy. I want to be safe and secure. I want you to like me. I want to have a great reputation. And Paul says, hey, as followers of Christ, like you could make me really happy if you would just lay all that aside and value other people more than you value yourself. And, and honestly, to be honest, even at my best, I'm still thinking a lot about me. Like anytime I'm serving or I'm generous, like, I'm still hoping I get credit for it. I still want a pat on the back or a thank you. When I'm volunteering my time, I mean, that's, that's me at my best. I'm serving other people. You know, I'm still hoping that people notice. and People think, man, Andrew's a pretty good guy. Look how humble he is. What a great leader. I mean, I, I'm hoping I get some measure of credit for it. And that's at my best. So this Christmas Eve, you know, most of our our normal Christmas plans had been canceled because of COVID. And Christmas Eve is usually one of our busiest days of the year. We got family obligations and church services and none of those things were going on. And so I, I learned something from my good friend, uh, Rick Bagley. He's one of my closest friends in life. And every Christmas Eve, he takes his boys out and they go shopping and buy gifts for kids who need them. And they go out to eat somewhere and they leave a, like a big generous tip to a waiter, waiter or waitress that's working on Christmas Eve. And so I say to my kids, hey, hey, why don't we do this tonight? Let's go to Waffle House and we're going to leave a hundred dollar tip for our waiter or waitress. And the kids were excited, primarily just about Waffle House, but about the idea as well. And so that evening we got all in the van, we drove to Waffle House. And before we walked in, I said, hey guys, let's pray. Do you believe that we could pray and that God would bring, a, bring us a, a waiter or a waitress that we could love on and serve? And this $100 would mean a lot to them. The kids said, yeah, I believe that. So we, we prayed together. We go in. We sat down. This young lady comes out. She starts waiting on us. And I said, hey, man, you got to work on Christmas Eve. And she said, yeah, and I got to work a double tomorrow on Christmas Day. And she walked away. And I said, kids, are like this is perfect. This is the person that God wants us to love and care for. So we ate our meal. And at the end, I went up to pay our ticket. And our waitress didn't check us out. I was kind of hoping for that moment where I could let her know that we had been praying for her and we were hoping that she would know how much God loved her. We wanted to be a blessing to her. But 
we, we didn't get to have that moment. Instead, this other lady, you know, took my ticket and, and I wrote down the hundred dollars and I handed it to her and she said, thanks so much for coming to Waffle House. And she put it away. And I thought, well, that didn't go how I hoped. I was kind of hoping for that moment where maybe the waitress, she starts crying and she tells us how great we are. And maybe she wants to get a picture with us. You know, like I wanted some kind of credit for it. And it just kind of fell flat because honestly, even at my best, I still like credit. I still want people to think I'm great. And honestly, at my worst, life is just about me. And I'm only thinking about myself. I'm only protecting my reputation and my ego, and my pride. And Paul said, hey, if you're a follower of Christ and you've received benefit from that and, and you're thankful for that, then, then do this thing for me. Think a lot less about you. Make your life about serving other people. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And then Paul says something that's like right out of Jesus' playbook. He continues on in verse 4 and he says, Not looking to your own interest, but the interest of others. Jesus said, or Paul says, do you want to live a life of joy, life of significance? Then don't do anything for yourself. Don't, don't serve yourself. Don't be concerned about your interest, but the interest of other people. That's how you live a life of meaning and purpose, a life that's full of joy. The less it's about you, the more purpose and meaning your life will have. This is exactly what Jesus taught his followers. At one point, some of his followers come to him and say, Jesus, we, we want to be great. And I think there's something inside of all of us that we, we want to be great. We want to do something that matters. We want to, we want to leave a mark. We, we want our lives to count. They said, Jesus, we want to be great. We need authority and power and titles. Like, help us be great. And Jesus responds this way. He says, greatness in my kingdom is, is counter. It's different. It doesn't make sense. The, the route in my kingdom, the way to go up is, is by going down. He said, the first will, will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be great, then, then be the biggest servant. And Jesus continues on. He said, well, I didn't even show up to be served. I showed up to serve others and to, to give everything away. And Paul says, hey, th this is our model. This is how we... We live our lives. This is who we model our lives after, King Jesus. And he said, I didn't show up to be served, but to serve other people. And then Paul continues on, and he says, And in your relationships with, with everyone, with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is how we do it. In your relationship with fill-in-the-blank, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with that person you disagree with, in, in your relationship with that person on Facebook, in your relationship with your neighbors and your coworkers, in your relationship with fill in the blank, it doesn't matter who it is, let Christ be the model for how we treat people. Let, let Jesus lead, let his life lead the way we live our lives. Like this is the route as followers of Christ, this is the path. There is no other path besides living our lives modeled after the life of Christ. There's only one route. You know, my son Jude, he can't figure out what his thing is. Like, is it going to be sports or music or something else? 
he hasn't found anything that he just wants to pour his life into. And, uh, you know, if it could, if Netflix could be something that you could like make a living at, my son Jude would be a billionaire. Like the kid is just gifted. Like he can just watch TV all day long if we would let him. But as a dad, you know, I have a high value for, for my kids achieving and working hard at something, pouring their heart into it. I don't care what it is. I just think there's a lot of lessons that are learned by, by working hard and achieving and becoming the best that you can be at something. But Jude hadn't figured out what that thing is. And here's his challenge. Whatever Jude does, he wants to be good right away. So like he tried basketball and soccer and he expects to be the best like without practice or he's, he's messed around a little bit with music and taken a few lessons and then he just wants to be good like right away, but it doesn't work like that. I've tried to explain to him, that's not the path. That's not the route. There's only one way to get better at something and it's through working and trying and failing and doing it over and over and over again. That's the only path to being great at something. There's no other route. You don't get to skip those steps. And Paul says, there's only one path. As followers of Christ, there's only one way to live a significant life. There's only one way to make a difference, and that's modeling our lives after Jesus. And so then Paul reminds us of who Jesus was. And how he lived his life in verse 6, he continues on and he says, Who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Paul says, here's the path. Jesus was God. He had all the power, all the benefit, all the privileges of being God. Yet he, he laid those things aside to serve other people. He didn't use them for his own advantage or his own benefit. See, love by nature lays aside privileges and benefits and power to serve other people. And Jesus modeled this over and over again in his ministry. We see it really clearly at the end of his life. The night that Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial, Right at the end, when he knew that he was going to be tortured and put to death, he has this moment, it's just him and God alone. And he prays this very human prayer. The prayer kind of goes like this, God, if there's another route, I'd be glad to go through that. I really don't want to do this. But then he says, but God, not what I want. What do you want? And then shortly after that, this mob, this crowd of people comes to arrest Jesus. I mean, think about this. God unlimited power is arrested by human beings, the people that he created. This odd picture of these people thinking that they have authority and power over him, but Jesus had laid all of that aside. And the followers of Jesus think, all right, this is our time to fight. This is our time to demand our way. So Peter's the first one. He pulls out his sword and he cuts a soldier's ear off. And the reason why he cut his ear off is because the dude ducked. Peter wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his neck. And the guy ducked and Peter caught his ear. Jesus bends over and he picks up this ear that's now laying on the ground. And he sticks it back on the side of the guy's head. And these are the words of Christ speaking to his followers. Peter, put your, put your sword back in its place. 
For who draws the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think that I could call on my father and at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels will appear? Jesus looks at his followers and says, do you not think I have power? Do you not think I have authority? Do you not think I could speak and everything would change? Jesus said like 12 legions of angels would show up at just me speaking. Legion was a military term that meant like four to 6,000 troops. So Jesus is saying like at my voice, 60 or 70,000 angels will appear. You know, anytime in scripture, someone actually saw an angel, the response was always the same. They were terrified like laying on the ground, trembling at the sight of one angel. And Jesus said, like 60 or 70,000 angels could show up. This isn't about a lack of power and control. I've laid that down. I'm not using it for my benefit. And this is the path. This is the way. This is the picture of meekness. Meekness is, is strength under control. We don't leverage our power and our strength for our own advantage. And we love power. We love to be in control. We love privilege and benefit because we can use it to protect ourselves, to benefit ourselves, like to, to, to guard our ego, to get our way. And Jesus says, well, this isn't my path. That's not what we do. And Paul says, our life should model his life. And all of us have some measure of power and authority and privilege and followers of Christ, they're fully aware of that. And anytime there's an opportunity to lay that down and serve others, they're glad to do that because our leader, Jesus, modeled that. And Paul says, hey, like this is the route, this is the path. Live your life after the life of Christ. And Paul continues on. He says, rather, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and he made himself in human likeness. I love this picture of Jesus. He, he didn't stay at a distance. He didn't solve this problem, this gap between humanity and God, by just speaking at a distance and said he, he put on flesh. And he stepped into brokenness and pain. Because love requires proximity. Like, you can't love someone up close. Like at a distance, we can hate people. We can dehumanize them. We can put them in groups. We can talk about them as if they're less than what God created them to be. But up close, in relationship, in proximity, we start seeing people for who they are. Someone created in the image of God. And all of us probably have the option of avoiding a lot of pain and brokenness in our world. I do. I can wake up in my white middle-class neighborhood and drive here to the church and work with my friends who look a lot like me and believe just like me. And then after work, we can spend time with our friends who are pretty much like us. None of them are hungry or hopeless. All their kids go to really good schools. Even like my, my kids' activities, like my daughter's travel basketball team, like all the families are pretty much like us. And if I want, I can live in a world where I don't see any brokenness and pain. Like everybody's kind of like me, somewhat put together. At least we're doing a good job pretending. But Jesus wasn't okay with that. Jesus stepped into, he moved 
towards brokenness and pain. And the question is, what are we going to do? We have the right. We're probably privileged in that way. Are we going to move towards pain? Because I'm telling you, around us, right here in our community, there's a lot of people who are hopeless. There are people who are hungry. There are kids in our school system who don't have a positive role model or influence. Anyone speaking life to them. There are people all around us who are lost and broken. And the question is, what are we going to do? We're going to live in our little privileged bubble? Or are we going to move towards brokenness and pain? Love requires proximity. And Paul says, let Christ be the model. Like He wasn't concerned about himself and his reputation. Instead, he put on flesh and he moved towards brokenness. And then in verse 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is our leader. This is the way. Jesus emptied himself. There was nothing left. See, love does not demand anything from anybody. Love by nature is self-emptying. It, it gives away. It holds nothing back. It, it doesn't guard and protect. And here's one of the things when I found in my life, anytime I find myself being defensive, I'm not being loving. Defensiveness lets me know that I'm guarding and I'm protecting. And usually it's my pride and my ego or my desire to be right or to hold on to my rights. We have this thing in our staff where we always say, thank you always follows feedback. Because one of our core values here at Grace is, hey, let's make it better. And we realize that all of us need to improve. And the only way we're going to improve is by getting feedback. And I'll just be honest. Like anytime I get feedback, I'm naturally defensive. Honestly, like I'm the boss, man. Like you can't talk to me that way. When someone comes and says, hey, I'm not sure if that's the right decision or, you know, how you handled that. It made me feel this way when you spoke like that. There's part of me that just gets defensive because I love guarding and protecting my ego and my authority. And naturally, I want to get defensive. And that's why as a staff, we say anytime someone loves you enough to give feedback, the very first thing we say is thank you. Let's not be defensive because love is never defensive. And Jesus, our leader, he models it by by giving everything away, by being obedient even all the way to death. And I want you to know this is the only way. This is the only way the church gains influence. This is the only way we change the world. It's not, not by demanding our way, demanding our rights. It's by laying them down serving the world around us. And then I love the ending here when Paul says this. Therefore, because of everything we just read, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says this act of love, it created the platform, it created the path for people like me and you to bow our knee to King Jesus. And because of that, we get to be adopted into his family. 
I'm thankful that Jesus loved me enough that he didn't cling to his rights and his benefits. He loved me enough to be obedient to death, to create a route where there wasn't a route. And so Paul says, all right, now what are you going to do? You're going to live like the rest of the world and demand and fight and hold on? Or are you going to follow the way of Christ? Or are you going to let go and lay aside rights and move towards pain and brokenness? The way of Christ is counter to the way of the world. We should look really, really different. You know what the world needs? A lot less of me and a lot less of you. The world needs more of God. And the only way we can do that is by getting out of the way and living the way of Christ. And I know what I talked about today is challenging and difficult, but it's the only path. It's the only way we can live out what Christ has called us to do. So that could be great today. Wherever you are, if you'd pray with me and and join in this prayer of saying, God, a lot less of me and a lot more of you. Let's pray together. God, help me. Help all of us. There's not much in my life that isn't centered around me. And I know uh, I get in the way and all of us get in the way of letting people see who you are. But we want our minds and our lives to reflect you. Someone who is willing to give up benefits and advantages and privileges and move towards pain and brokenness. And none of it was about you. It was all about serving others. So help us, God. Help us as a church. Help us as a movement of your kingdom to love our community, to love our world well. God, a lot less of us and a lot more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.